Good morning, or good afternoon, sorry. Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here with you guys, and thank you for having me uh, share God's word with you uh, this afternoon. I had to drive right after my service uh, and leave my congregation to be here. And, uh, you know, driving and kind of like being on a time constraint, it does a lot to your soul. So I'm driving here, really praying on behalf uh, of you for God to deliver the word of God. But traffic is doing something else to my heart. Traffic is saying, slow down, stop. And, you know, you have those moments where, like, a car may just kind of uh, cut you off, and then you have to have extra grace. Because nowadays, I mean, um, you don't even know. Uh, there was a tragic, tragic shooting on the 55 freeway a couple of days ago. Uh, and as a result of a um, uh, road rage incident, a six-year-old boy, six-year-old boy gets shot and dies. I mean, what is going on? Six-year-old boy gets shot and dies. I don't know if it was because of that incident or uh, my mom, who's a missionary in Peru, is visiting me here. And uh, she wanted me to go and get a colonoscopy. And, um, but I said, Mom, there's no, there's no um, signs of cancer in our family. I'm 36. Uh, why should I get one? And uh, my mom, traditional Korean mom, it's good for you. It's good for you. I'm like, wait, let me talk to my doctor friends real quick. And I find out that, no, it's not good for you. When you're young, it's actually, it could be uh, harmful <laughs> if, if it's not done well and if there's no signs of any uh, uh, um, cancer in your family, you don't need to get it. I don't know if it was because of that incident. Anyways, eventually I went back to my mom and said, Mom, I'm not going to get it. And uh, I don't know if it was because of the news of the boy dying. But a couple of days ago, as I was sleeping, to, as sleeping in my bed, I thought, what if I don't wake up tomorrow? Obviously, I'm healthy, relatively, right? I'm healthy. But what if I don't wake up tomorrow? And it was a scary thought because, you know, I've got three kids, um, seven, five, and eight months now. Um, I've, I've, I want to say I've got good friends. And, and the, the, the thought that next day I may wake up or I may not wake up, let me to once again say, wow, every morning, every breath that I breathe is truly by the grace of God. I know a lot of you woke up this morning and may have not thought too much about it and you just kind of came to church and you're here singing the songs. But have you thought of this kind of scary thought that really every day is a gift from the Lord? Do I hear an amen? It truly is. And as I'm thinking about that, I realize once again of my faithlessness in trusting a God that is for us, a God that, is, that wants the very best for us, for me, for my family, for your church, for my church. And I go off tangent and I pursue and I am in search of things that are far, far don't even come close to the very promises that God has made. And so today, this afternoon, I want to take us to the book of Exodus in hopes that we are reminded of what God promises, but more importantly, a very danger that we see in this narrative. And so if you have your Bibles, can I hear you say a word? 
All right, TLC, I know you guys can do better than that. If you guys have your Bibles, can I hear you say a word? And turn to Exodus chapter 4. I'll be reading, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus. I'm going to be reading Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. But I'll be referencing to chapter 4 and chapter 7 as well. Now, Exodus, written by Moses, is one out of the five books of the Torah or the law of Moses. Um, and this is a very uh, law of God through given through Moses. And uh, in this book, obviously, if you ever begin a Bible reading project, this is so exciting. And then later on, it, you just kind of like go off tangent again. But in Exodus, there's this running theme of God's faithfulness. Now, we're not going to cover this part uh, later on uh, because this is, happens after Exodus chapter 7 where one of the most miraculous uh, things that God does is rescuing his very people, the Israelites, out of captivity, out of slavery by what? By parting of the Red Sea and by walking on dry land. And you would think, church, that if there's any event any event in your life that is comparable to that, you would think that whenever there's doubt, whenever there's fear, whenever there's any sort or form of questioning of how God is good, you would think you would go back to that incident, right? You would think, wow, God delivered me, my family, from slavery, and I walked on dry land by God splitting the Red Sea through Moses. You would think that that one incident would do it, but no. What we see consistently in Exodus is that the people of God, they grumble, they complain, they have selective remembering. They want to just remember all the good things. Oh, remember the times we had meat? We remember we had water and they complain against Moses and Aaron. But prior to getting there again, God needs to do some groundwork through Pharaoh. Here's Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I will be reading it from the ESV. I don't know what your church uses, but I will be reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Let's give our full undivided attention to the word of God this morning. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Verse 3. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. 
That is the word of God for us so far this morning. Could you join with me in prayer one more time? Heavenly Father, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your faithfulness. We thank you for another day that you've given us to gather here at your church, your bride, to worship an almighty and powerful God. And God, if we walk through those doors with this sense of pride or arrogance, I pray that right now through the very word that you would speak to us, humble us, allow us to turn from our wicked ways and turn to you. O God of our salvation, may the word be what convicts and challenges your beloved here this afternoon. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray on all God's people said, amen. Church, pride will hinder the blessings of God. Let me repeat that one more time. In fact, why don't you repeat it with me? Pride will hinder the blessings of God. Well, what is pride? Pride is this deep sense of satisfaction, deep sense of a feeling of deep satisfaction that comes from one own, one's achievements or maybe accolades or awards that they have been able to gain or win or achieve. And so there's this false puffing up of oneself, and we call this pride. Many of us in this church, I don't know you, but uh, uh, you don't know me, but I think it's safely to assume that if we don't check our hearts often, and if we don't bring it before the cross and the work on Calvary, our pride is that huge wall that we built around us and it prevents us from experiencing the very blessing of God. Now, when I say blessing, I'm not talking about uh, finances. I'm not talking about health. Okay, that's prosperity gospel. There's nowhere in scripture that God says, I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you like perfect health. No, none of that. But the very blessing that God wants to remind us, not only in scripture, but to you this morning, is that it is his very presence. The very blessing that God longs to remind us as we read this is that God's presence is with his people because he made a promise. Back in Genesis to Abraham, he made a promise to say, I'm going to use you and through you, not because you're great, not because you are talented or gifted. No, because solely out of the grace of God, my people, when I make a promise, I will be with you, I will carry you, and even in captivity, I will be with you. And here in Exodus chapter 5, we read an incident where finally Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Now Moses doesn't tell us exactly who this individual is. It could be Ratmus the first or second, Tatmus the first or second, Ramses the first or second. We don't know. And the specific reason why scripture doesn't tell us who this king of Egypt is, is because God wants us to see the bigger picture. That there is absolutely no heinous act or evil deeds of people that will thwart the will of God. No matter how evil the people are, no matter how bad the king is, there is absolutely no stopping our God. Do I hear an amen? 
Nothing will thwart the will of God. But as he comes face to face here, Moses and Aaron, with this powerful Pharaoh, we're going to notice three characteristics of what pride does in Pharaoh. And my hope this morning is, is as we study these three aspects of what pride does in Pharaoh, we ask ourselves these very same questions. And so let's look at the very first thing. Pride falsely exalts. Repeat after me. Pride falsely exalts. Where do we get this? Well, let's go back to verse 2. How does Pharaoh respond to Moses and Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron? When Moses and Aaron says, we are sent, and thus says the Lord, right? Thus says the Lord. Pharaoh responds by saying, who is the Lord? I am the king of Egypt. At my very word, I can kill people. At my very word, I command people act, people obey. And so Pharaoh, he himself thinks he is a god. In fact, there was an inscription that was found uh, back in ancient times that read this, quote, I am that which was and is and shall be, and no man has lifted my veil. A pharaoh had that inscripted in one of his palaces. The pharaoh was more than a man. He was not a public servant. In fact, the public served him. And so pride Maybe because he built so many cities through the Israelites. Maybe because he had so many possessions or things. It falsely exalted him as one of the gods. And you see, this is prior to the ten plagues in which God is going to directly, through each plague, attack a false idol, a false god of Egypt. This is right before this. And so what happens here with Pharaoh is, who is this Lord? Uh, I don't know him. In fact, not only do I not know him, I'm not going to obey and listen to Moses, to you and Aaron. I'm not going to do that. And so my first question to you, church, is have you had situations like this in the past for yourself? Have you allowed this false feeling of deep satisfaction because of the accolades or the achievements or whatever you have possessed to falsely exalt you, to identify with something, maybe even a certain title, that has hindered you from truly receiving the blessing of God? This is a smart congregation. I know some of you guys. Some of you guys are doctors. Some of you guys are lawyers. Some of you guys are in great careers. And you guys are a smart congregation. Yet with that comes the responsibility to say, it was not me. With that comes the responsibility to say, it was all God. It was all God. He platformed me 
to study here. He planned for me to connect with people. He planned for me to achieve this certificate and on and on. The moment you think that it was you, it will falsely exalt you. And when God tries to intervene through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will respond just like Pharaoh. Who is this Yahweh God? I studied, not God. I made the networks, not God. And so church, this morning, can I ask you a very blunt question? Has pride seeped into your heart? Has pride falsely exalted you to identify with something or someone or a certain title that has hindered you from receiving the very blessing of God? Um, funny story, and I, I believe I've shared this many times, uh, maybe with the younger youth group here years ago. But when my son, who is now seven, was one, and my son, uh, as I was trying to feed him a spoonful, a spoon filled of like the food that my wife had made at that moment, and he's only one years old, I was trying to feed him, and you know that is a great thing for a dad to do to their son, feed them. Amen? That's not a bad thing. And as I was trying to feed my son, who was one years old at that time, um, he just screamed at the top of his lungs. And he was just like, no. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you're only one, right? Like, what do you think you know? Truly, we are sinners from birth. And so a few months later, when he started to crawl, when he started to walk, I remember I was trying to help him into a car seat. Because, again, TLC, you're a smart congregation. That's a good thing. Amen? I don't want him to fall. I don't want him to crack his head. Like, I'm helping him into his car seat. But he gave me the hand. He said, don't touch me. He couldn't talk. But he gave me the hand. And he said, don't touch me. And then he said, no. Uh, one year and a couple months later, and at that moment, it just kind of clicked. At that moment, I thought, oh, Lord, could this be me? Oh, Lord, here you are for my good. You're trying to always intervene and help me, but because of this false pride that I have even since birth that I think I can do things on my own it's preventing me from really accepting the blessings and here I am like a little baby crying out to my sovereign powerful good God saying no don't touch me I know what I'm doing no could that be you and I I believe so I believe that is the very narrative of our rebellion. God delivers, we complain. God provides, we grumble. I want something else. And God does provide again, again, and again by the very grace and the mercy of God. And here we are. We forget the parting of the Red Sea. We forget the moment he took you out of your own slavery, out of that deep 
pit of hell out of that deep sense of loneliness and maybe even some of you suicide thoughts. You forget about how God has delivered you faithfully out of that into the light, into the very blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you and pride falsely has exalted you. And here you are again saying, God, I know what I'm doing. Don't touch me. How do we know if pride has already seeped into our hearts? Can I give you guys just very, very quickly three practical ways? There are many ways where obviously uh, you know if you're prideful. There's a saying, I don't know if there's a similar saying in, in Vietnamese, but in Korean there's a saying that says, parks are the most prideful. By, the, by parks they mean the last name. I am a park, David Park. And I don't know why, but that is very true. That is very true. Korean men are so prideful, so arrogant. Is that true about Vietnamese men? Oh, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> Practical ways, very quickly, very quickly, very quickly, you don't take constructive criticism well. If you are talking to a mentor and you don't take constructive criticism well, sign right there. Pride has already seeped into your heart. When somebody from your church is trying to speak words of love and encouragement and trying to speak words of constructive criticism into your heart, Granted, you have a relationship with them. You don't take that well. Why? Because you don't want to be wrong. You're always right, right? And so you don't want to be wrong. And when somebody calls you out on a specific thing, you kind of don't like it. It kind of feels awkward. Practical step number two. You're not teachable. You don't take advice well. Uh, actually, let me share four since we have a little bit of time. Assuming you already know something when someone is teaching, and this is true uh, in, from pulpit preaching, from your Bible study teaching, from any other form of teaching. Maybe you go to school and you, you learn and you're kind of learning something, then you go, ah, I already know this, right? Like, like being reminded of something is not that important, right? You, you already know that Jesus died, and so you kind of walk into Sunday service, and you, you say, Tony, Pastor Tony, you better give me something new. Oh, I better hear something that's going to blow my mind. That's pride. That's pride. Last practical step. Seeing yourself as too good to perform a certain task. It's true at church. Somebody maybe. Oh, this happened just recently, and thank the Lord for reminding me of this. Our children's pastor, uh, he stepped down a couple weeks ago, and obviously, who, who do they look to to preach a children's ministry sermon at a Korean church where nobody really else speaks English? Me. Did I volunteer myself? No, but I was voluntold. And at that specific moment, I'm not going to lie to you, there was this pride in my heart that made me respond by saying in my own heart, obviously not out loud to my senior pastor, but in my own heart, I'm the EM pastor. I'm the English ministry pastor, not the children's pastor. But what did I do? I preached the children's ministry sermon this past week, and it was great. It allowed me to connect with my own kids again. 
to understand where their hearts were coming from. Again, just some practical steps. But what do we see here again in Exodus chapter 5? What, uh, what pride does to Pharaoh, it falsely exalted him. The second part, what we see in verse 6 through 9, pride suppresses logic. Repeat after me. Pride suppresses logic. Verses 6 through 9, this is what we read. Let me reread this for you. Pharaoh had this false pride in him. Moses and Aaron call him out, and not only does he say, no, who is this God? But in verse 6 and 9, what does he do? He makes the task of the Israelites almost impossible. He responds illogically. This is what pride often does to you and to me. What Pharaoh does is saying, oh, you want to let my people go? Well, hey, I'm going to make the task that much harder. And so you have to make the same amount of bricks, but this time we're not going to provide the straw. You're going to have to go get your own straw. And taskmasters, if they don't complete this task, you will punish them. He makes it almost impossible. He responds illogically. I don't know if... Um, married couples here you've ever been into an argument or a fight and i'm pretty sure you have and this is what happens 99.999999 percent of the time somebody in uh, whether it's a wife or a husband they call you out on something or something uh, that they don't like happens and usually it's the wife who is right and then they tell the husband who is wrong about something and the pro uh, the husband becomes very arrogant and prideful and says no i didn't do that but then the wife has proof and evidence and everything of that you actually did that. And then the husband replies illogically oftentimes, 99.99999%, right? The camera is wrong. That wasn't me. Or like we respond in human ways that are so illogical, so illogical and we do this to God I mean think about our journey with God okay God goes trust me I love you and I've got you I'm going to deliver you out of slavery you're going to walk on dry land I'm going to provide sweet water with through this log I'm going to provide quail I'm going to provide manna I'm going to go ahead and provide the very rock in which eternal water will flow out of Jesus Christ and you will be fulfilled and he goes trust me Israelites my people I've got you I've got you you are my people you are mine but we respond so dramatically. We respond so illogically. Oh, I wish I was back in slavery. Oh, I, the good days. God, when I ate meat in Egypt, that's pride speaking. And when God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, really wants to intervene in your life, that's what you and I often respond illogically, God. God, why or why couldn't you perform in this way? Why couldn't you deliver in this manner? Church, I want you to hang in here with me. I know it's almost kind of like I feel like I'm hammering you here. It's like we are prideful. This is our reality. But let's get to the third point here. Pride falsely exalts. Pride suppresses logic. And what we see in chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, is that pride 
ultimately pays a high cost. You see, for Pharaoh, it cost him his son. Pride, when goes unchecked, it pays a high cost. You and I are testament to this. Some of you here have no longer friends because maybe pride has caused those friendships to break apart. It paid a high cost. Some of you here who are very prideful to not go get regular checkups at the hospital are paying a high cost. Maybe now you're dealing with a terminal illness. Maybe some of us here because of sin that has gone unrepented because of our own pride has led you to be calloused and numb to the very word of God. You've built bricks around you. Bricks of pride and arrogance where you don't, you no longer can hear the word. I mean, church, that's a scary thought. Do you remember the days when maybe you fell into a sinful behavior and you felt guilty about it and so you repented right away? And you said, God, I turn away from this and I turn to you, Jesus, for the fulfillment of what the blood of Christ does in my life. But what happens? You fall again and again and no longer are you feeling remorseful. No longer are you feeling guilty. Now you're just full blown out, just driving on the carpool lane by yourself. You're full blown out sinning, knowing you're sinning, but you don't care. Callous can't hear the word that's scary because if God really cares and loves you it will pay a high price God will do anything to bring you back to remember of his provision of his goodness but do you know why this is good news this is ultimately good news because our pride cost God the highest price. Our sinful rebellion and our just complaining and grumbling and our turning to sin over and over cost God the highest price, which was his very own son, Jesus Christ. It cost our Heavenly Father the highest price to say, I will strike with the same rod that I will strike this rock in Exodus chapter 16 and which water will flow out of to really quench the thirst of you grumbling and complaining Israelites. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, Apostle Paul refers to that rock as Jesus Christ, the, the rock that was struck by the very rod of Moses. Apostle Paul says that was Christ. Because the curse of the law was striking Christ, Jesus, so that you and I could be free. So that you and I could honestly, transparently turn to him and say, I worship you wholeheartedly. So church, this morning, 
I want to invite you. I want to plead with you. I may not be the pastor of this church, but if you walked in through those doors with a sense of arrogance that has falsely exalted you, if you walked in through those doors with this pride that has caused you to illogically respond to your friends, to your spouse, to your child, to your church members, if you walked through those doors and maybe you have paid a high cost because of the very pride that you have, I ask you to turn to Jesus Christ, the one who was struck so that the very everlasting water that flowed out of Jesus would cleanse you of that very pride and arrogance. I began this sermon by having you respond and saying pride blocks and hinders you from the blessings of God. TLC, do you believe that God wants to bless you? Let's even go there. Does God, do you believe God wants to bless you? Or maybe not. God longs desires, yearns to bless his people with the very presence of his son, Jesus Christ. And this afternoon, he wants to give us an opportunity to once again break these walls of hostility created by the very pride that you and I have. 